When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again to Dirty Sexy History. My name is Jess, and this has been one hell of a week. Oh my god, you guys. So we missed last week, and I do apologize for that. At this moment, if you can believe it, I actually have four different jobs, and last week they all kind of converged in this unholy clusterfuck of scheduling conflicts and advanced burnout. In other news, I also spent last Thursday getting an absolutely massive tattoo. It's a half-sleeve of historical contraceptives, obviously. And then on Saturday, I was attacked by a lady downtown who believes that I'm the actual devil. So I've got that going for me. Anyway, around this, of course, I had my usual deadlines, so we sadly had to delay just a little bit. Not ideal, I know. We never want to delay for any reason, but sometimes the planets align to set your shit on fire, and there's nothing that you can really do about that. But I'm back, and I love you, so thank you for sticking around. Anyway, this week I thought that I'd take a break from all the fun that we've been having with the doom and gloom of the catacombs, arsenic, and tuberculosis party, and talk to you about one of my very favorite people from history— 18th century boxer Daniel Mendoza. That's right, guys. This week, I'm going to make you care about boxing. Okay, I know, maybe some of you do anyway. It's a fun sport, and that's awesome. But like any good sports story, what makes it is the people at the center of it. And the athlete at the center of this one, well, I think you're going to like him. So let's get started. The first thing you learn about boxing is that if you don't guard yourself with your hands up, you're gonna get hit in the face. It sounds like common sense, so you might be surprised to hear that this was not always done. Before English boxing's heyday in the latter half of the 18th century, prize fights were still popular among the lower classes who tended to fight by taking turns hitting each other until somebody fell over. Boxing as we know it today, a sport of skill and stamina as much about blocking and dodging as it is actually hitting, comes from the technique developed by a Jewish-English prize fighter Daniel Mendoza. By the time Mendoza was born in 1764, Jews had only been allowed to settle in England for about a hundred years after officially being readmitted by Cromwell back in 1656. Communities of Sephardic and Ashkenazic Jews were forming primarily in London's East End, and although they were generally accepted in London, they were still met with a degree of suspicion and anti-Semitism. Georgian London attracted diverse people from all over the world, but it was by no means a haven of tolerance. Jews in particular tended to be viewed as small and weak, a stereotype that Mendoza spectacularly disproved. During his career, he formed his own boxing academy and taught students there, as well as giving private lessons for the wealthy, and he wrote a boxing manual, The Modern Art of Boxing in 1788, that is still read today. 
1816, Mendoza published Memoirs of the Life of Daniel Mendoza, an intelligent and witty autobiography that is still available and surprisingly accessible to modern readers. In Memoirs, he recounts notable events in his life and career for dozens of subscribers credited in the first several pages, not unlike how Patreon works today. By the way, you can find us on Patreon at Dirty Sexy History. Anyway, Mendoza had a talent for boxing from an early age. This came out when he was 15 and apprenticed at the time to a glass cutter. His master was a nice guy, but the man's son was an anti-Semitic shitbag. I believe that's the technical term. He harassed Mendoza on a daily basis until Mendoza finally gave the boy the thrashing of his life before voluntarily leaving his position. Now that's a nice way of saying he beat the shit out of the kid and was forced to quit. <laughs> Worth it. Anyway, he was still only 15, but he didn't want to burden his parents, so he moved through a succession of odd jobs through his teens and early 20s, working for a greengrocer, a tea merchant, and a tobacconist, before inadvertently accepting a job escorting smuggled goods from the coast into the city. Once he discovered who he was working for and what they expected him to do, he quit this job and worked for some time as a biscuit maker, baking cookies and Passover cakes until fighting became a full-time job. Although Mendoza was arguably one of the most naturally talented athletes in history, he never meant to make boxing his career. Still, the fights kept finding him. The so-called scientific method of boxing that he invented was very effective, and it drew huge crowds to see his fights and self-defense demonstrations. Unlike other boxers at the time, Mendoza fought with his knees bent and his arms guarding his face in a stance that we would still recognize now. This stance allowed him to block and quickly dodge in a way that his opponents couldn't. His natural ability and this new method of fighting proved to be a formidable combination. By 1788, he had won 27 fights in a row. The same year, his longtime rivalry with his one-time mentor, Richard Humphreys, otherwise known as the Gentleman Boxer, came to a head in four fights and a series of inadvertently hilarious letters that were published in the world. Now, all this came about after a match against Richard Humphreys that took place in 1788. During that match, Mendoza suffered an injury that temporarily left him unable to walk and significantly stalled his career. Humphreys was declared the victor by default, but his victory was a hollow one. He had not beaten Mendoza due to his skill, but because of an accident. While Mendoza was recovering from his injuries, he became aware of rumors that he had handled himself poorly during the fight, and that his injuries were exaggerated or even false. Well, he wasn't happy about that, so he wrote into the world to clarify his side of events. He said that there was no misconduct on either side, and that his injuries were very real and had been sustained by an accident, rather than from the fight itself. He clarified that he had fallen out of the ring on his head and actually injured his pelvis. Ouch. He further suggested that if Humphreys would like to reschedule the fight, he would be more than willing to oblige. So Humphreys, wanting to keep that victory, even if it wasn't under the best circumstances, he took exception to this, of course, and he responded with a letter of his own. Mendoza accepted Humphreys' challenge with his characteristic patience, and perhaps just a touch of well-earned superiority, and what follows in his memoirs amounts to two chapters of Georgian smack talk, faithfully recorded word for word as they worked out the details of their next fight in public. 
It's just like when boxers get all up in each other's faces before a fight and it's like really weird and you think they're going to kiss or something. It's just like that, except it was printed in a popular newspaper. And it's deceptively formal. Still, I think you guys can read between the lines. Here are some highlights. Humphreys. Notwithstanding my declaration, previous to the battle between me and Mr. Mendoza, that whether I was beaten or I beat him, I would never fight again. Yet, as in his address to the public, through the medium of your paper, he has insinuated that in his late contest with me at Oldham, his being beaten was the mere effect of accident. I do now declare that I am ready to meet him at any time, not exceeding three months from the present date. Mendoza. As the world is decidedly of opinion that Mr. Humphreys is superior in the art of boxing, the third proposition I make is, the man who first closes shall be the loser. The time of fighting is impossible to mention, since the injury I have received in my loins may continue its effects to a distant period, but the moment I am relieved from that complaint and declared capable by the gentleman who now attends me, I shall cheerfully step forward and appoint the day. Humphreys I cannot help remarking that neither Mr. Mendoza nor his friends seemed decided where they should fix this unlucky disaster. At first it was his ankle, and then there were people who could have sworn they saw three of the bones come out. The disorder moved gradually to his hips, from hence, lest it should be mistaken for a rheumatic complaint, it is settled with more excruciating pain on his loins, where I am aware it may abide as long as he finds it convenient. Mendoza Mr. Humphreys is afraid. He dares not meet me as a boxer. He retires with the fullest conviction of his want of scientific knowledge, and though he has the advantages of strength and age, though a teacher of the art, he meanly shrinks from public trial of that skill on which his bread depends. Humphreys. Mr. Mendoza says I am afraid of him. The only favor I have to beg is that he or any of his friends will be kind enough to tell me so personally and spare me the trouble of seeking them out. After months of going back and forth, Mendoza and Humphreys finally met for not one, but three rematches, beginning in May of 1788. It is worth noting that boxing matches often went on for much longer than they do today, some of them lasting two hours or more through dozens of rounds. Beyond superior technique, Mendoza also had patience and stamina going for him. Both the first two fights with Humphreys ended anticlimactically when Humphreys suddenly fainted, unable to keep up. Although Mendoza was coming back from an injury, he was in the best shape of his life. He taught boxing at his academy and in private lessons, as well as touring the country to give self-defense demonstrations to massive crowds. The third and final fight with Humphreys lasted an incredible 72 rounds before Humphreys quit from exhaustion. He did not challenge Mendoza again. Humphreys had learned his lesson, but the public wouldn't let him forget it. A song was written to commemorate their fight at Stilton in Huntingdonshire, which Mendoza helpfully includes in his memoirs. The song was one of many on the subject, but Mendoza reports that this one in particular was sung with great applause at several convivial meetings. So this is basically a drinking song, but it can also be read as a summary of the public's changing view of Mendoza, wrapped up in a few verses from suspicion and anti-Semitism through to surprise and eventually praise. They are on Humphrey's side initially, Richard has become Dicky here, but when he starts looking at the cursed little Jew from Duke's place, like Goliath looking at David, 
we understand that our Dickie is in for a surprise. So we don't know the tune, so I'm going to read this like a poem. I apologize in advance. <laughs> Song. On the battle fought between Humphreys and Mendoza at Stilton in Huntingdonshire. Oh, my Dickie, my Dickie, and oh, my Dickie, dear. Such a wonderful Dickie is not found far or near. For Dickie was up, 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 and Dickie was down, down, down. And Dickie was backwards and forwards, and Dickie was round, round, round. Oh, my Dickie, my Dickie, and oh, my Dickie, my dear. My Dickie was all the delight of half the genteels in the town. Their tables were scarcely complete, unless my Dickie sat down. So very polite, so genteel, such a soft, complacent, modest face. What a damnable shame to be spoiled by a cursed little Jew from Duke's place. Oh, my Dickie, my Dickie, and oh, my Dickie, my dear. My Dickie, he went to the school that was kept by this Danny Mendoza, and swore that if the Jew would not fight, he would wring his mosaical nose, sir. His friends exclaimed, Go it, my Dickie, my terrible, give him a dairy. You've only to sport your position, and quickly the Levite will sherry. Oh, my Dickie, my Dickie, and oh, my Dickie, my dear. Elate with false pride and conceit, superciliously prone to his ruin, he haughtily stalked on the spot, which was turked for his utter undoing. While the Jew's humble bow seemed to please, my Dickie's eyes flashed vivid fire. He contemptuously viewed his opponent as David was viewed by Goliath. Oh, my Dickie, my Dickie, and oh, my Dickie, my dear. Now fortune, the whimsical goddess, resolving to open men's eyes, to draw from their senses the screen, and excite just contempt and surprise, produced to their view this great hero, who promised Mendoza to beat, when he proved but a boasting impostor, his promises all a mere cheat. Oh, my Dickie, my Dickie, and oh, my Dickie, my dear. For Dickie, he stopped with his head, was hit through his guard every round, sir, was fonder of falling than fighting, and therefore gave out on the ground, sir. Oh, poor Dickie. Somehow, we can't quite feel bad for him. Mendoza's boxing career continued through the end of the 18th century, at which point he dedicated himself to teaching and touring. Looking for other sources of income as he got older, he eventually became landlord of the Admiral Nelson Pub in Whitechapel. He won and lost a fortune, and he passed away in 1836 at the age of 72. Now, Daniel Mendoza's contribution to boxing cannot be overstated. During his lifetime, he became a major public figure. He won the patronage of the Prince of Wales in 1787 and became the first Jew to speak to George III. He was known throughout Britain on site, thanks in no small part to the popular engravings of him as well as his frequent appearances in Gilray cartoons. Prints were made of these pictures and they were sold to his fans across the country, just like posters of major athletes are now. If Mendoza was boxing today, they'd put him on a Wheaties box and give him his own video game. He was so well known that songs were written about his victories, and he was even mentioned by name in many of the plays of the day, including The Duenna and Road to Ruin. At least as significant as his contribution to boxing, he paved the way for acceptance of the Jewish community in Britain by challenging prejudices and winning respect one fight at a time. Though he's not as famous today as he once was, proof of his influence can still be seen every day. 
The next time you turn on the TV to watch some boxing or MMA, imagine how boring the matches would be if the fighters just stood there and took turns hitting each other. We're going to leave this here with a quote from the man himself. In his 1816 memoirs, he wrote, It is undoubtedly a fact that some men of turbulent and vindictive dispositions have made a bad use of their pugilistic powers and have thereby become obnoxious and disgraceful members of society. But these instances occur not frequently, and when they do, they must be acknowledged to result from the abuse and not from the right use of the art. The robust and athletic should never forget that excellent observation of Shakespeare. It is good to have a giant's strength, but merciless to use it like a giant. Isn't that the best story? <laughs> this episode was brought to you in a weird roundabout kind of way by my series, The Southwark Saga. Now, this isn't just a plug. Uh, Daniel Mendoza actually partially inspired the hero of my book, Broken Things, Jake Cohen, who is a Jewish boxer at Bear Gardens in Southwark in the 1670s. Before you buy it unawares, however, I will mention that this is a romance and a particularly steamy one, so do take that into consideration before you buy a copy for your conservative aunt. Just saying. This episode was also brought to you, of course, by our incredible and very patient patrons on Patreon. Thank you so much to Melanie Baker, Michael Beckwith, Andy Christopher, Rachel Cooney, Michelle Dunbar, James Finch, Adriana Herrera, Howard David Ingham, Emma Young, Janine Meberg, Jessica Miller, Akko Spoot, and Sylvia Van Eyck. Thank you all so very much for keeping us going. You make so much of a difference, I cannot even tell you. If you would like to support the show, please check us out on patreon.com slash dirtysexyhistory. We have some fun extra content in the works, and I promise we will post it as soon as humanly possible. And while you're at it, please rate, review, and subscribe, because it really does help us out. As always, you can find us through our website at dirtysexyhistory.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we will, as always, post the photos for this week's show. And the photos for this week are particularly fun. So enjoy! Dirty Sexy History is an independent podcast, and this episode was written, presented, edited, and all that good stuff by me, Jessica Kale. My sources today include Pierce Egan, Boxiana, or Sketches of Ancient and Modern Pugilism, 1812. Mark Gould, Boxing Pioneer Remembered at Last, The Guardian. International Jewish Sports Hall of Fame, Daniel Mendoza. Jews in Sports, Daniel Mendoza. And finally, Daniel Mendoza's own books, The Bonner Art of Boxing in 1788, and Memoirs of the Life of Daniel Mendoza, 1816. See you guys next time.